Amen. Thank you very much. It's a good sound. Isn't that beautiful? I want you to know that um, I've noticed something about you since I've been here. You need help. And I was looking in the mirror this morning, and I thought, he needs help too. We all need help. Sometimes you don't know that you need help, but you do. And there's some things we'll learn today from the book of Hebrews. And, and uh, we're going through the, the letter of Hebrews. The theme of the whole book, the whole letter is the superiority of Jesus Christ living in the new covenant. But today we're going to talk about help for humanity. The help that you didn't know you needed, but you found out. And if you didn't know already, you'll find out today, hopefully, and that'll be wonderful. I want to read the whole passage before we um, get into each part. So let's do that. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook, partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil." and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So that's, a, that's the passage for today, and that's as much as we're going to cover in this wonderful letter of Hebrews. I want us to take a little bit of it at a time and look, first of all, to help for children. Now, you'll remember everything we've covered so far up until this point. That was called sarcasm. And you think that's funny, but I mean, I don't even remember what we covered, you know, so I have to go back and check myself. But we ended last week, and Jesus calls us children, his, his own children. He has adopted us. We belong to him. And so God made us all. We we're made in the image of God. And in essence, in, in that regard, everybody in the world is a child of God in that they were made by God. But you're only a real child of God when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. This is going to explain to us how that works. And therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, and that would be us, we share in flesh and blood. I don't have any aliens among us, I hope. Or, you know, one of those things. But he himself likewise partook of the same. Now, he partook of the same means that he, he became something he wasn't. He took on human flesh he did not have before. That's what the word partook means. It means that Jesus Christ, God himself, God the Son, came down to this earth and took on human flesh. And he did that because we are flesh and blood. So why does that matter? I'm glad you asked. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So this is the death thing. I don't know what bothers you, but uh, what you're afraid of. Many people are afraid of death, and those same people are sometimes afraid of life, and sometimes they're just afraid. 
Death is one of those things, if you've not experienced it, you're a little concerned about and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Even when you know that you're ready and you know the Lord's death is kind of a frightening prospect. Now there are some who aren't like that at all. They're just, just bring it on, I'm going to go be with Jesus, it'll be fine. But if you understand what this passage is saying, there was a power of death that the devil had that Jesus came and took away from him. And we live in a culture of death. You notice that? Everything's about a murderer. Everything's about death. It's just an it's just a unusual culture. We're, we're so, uh, I guess, full of this subject of death in every aspect, everything. We're just immersed into it that we don't think about it very much. I mean, we can have... Uh, millions of children aborted before they're born and not think much about it. Now we can be opposed to it and we think it's awful and we shouldn't do that and then what's for lunch? Isn't that kind of how we are? I mean, I'm confessing my problems, you tell me yours. You got the same problem? Well you say, well I don't know what to do about it and I don't know how to fix that. I understand, but Jesus knows how to fix it. Jesus came and took the power of death away from the devil now, back in the garden when Adam and Eve were having a conversation and the devil was having a conversation through the serpent, right, to Eve, he knew this. He said, if I can just get them, if I can just get them to disobey God, then sin would come into the picture and they would die. Because God promised the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden, that day you shall die. He said, yes, we want Adam and Eve to die. So humanity has needed help from the very first couple. We needed help. And Jesus came to bring that help. And it, to render powerless him who had the power of death. Render powerless. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but if you thought the devil is just powerless? Oh boy, there are a whole lot of people, even right now in this very hour, there are people all over the place having church services and they're talking about the devil and how powerful he is and how he makes you do this and how he comes into your life and ruins everything. And, he, and, and they even quote scripture passages that say he's like a roaring lion that seeks to devour you. And we got all of that, yeah. But we don't understand that he's powerless. He can only do to you what you allow him to do. So now you're the problem. We'd rather blame it on the devil, but no, 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 no. You are the problem. I am the problem. The, the biggest problem you ever have is in the mirror. And you go, oh, there he is. Big problem. We've got to do something about that guy. And you think, what am I going to do? Well, there's help. There's help. Since Jesus has rendered powerless the devil, there's nothing about the devil or demons or the realm that we talked about a week or two ago about the, the, how there's a battle going on. <clears throat> There's nothing about that that you need to be afraid of. It is a powerless enemy that we have. But he's a liar and a deceiver, and he will try to make you think through his demons. You know, the devil can only be in one place at one time. Did you know that? He's a finite creature. So I didn't know that. Now you know. So what's going on? I don't know that I've ever dealt with the devil himself. I'm not really concerned about that, thinking about that. I don't know that I'm that important that he's going to focus on me. But I know this. 
He's got his minions, the demons, and there's a, there's a, a system of demons all over everywhere, and they're doing all that they can do to distract us and to dissuade us and convince us of things that are not true. And one of the things that's not true is that the, that the devil is powerful. He's only powerful if you give him the power, because Jesus rendered him powerless. The devil is a flea on a dog's back compared to our Lord Jesus Christ, and I hate to insult the flea. So there's help for the children. He delivered us from the, the one who has the power of death. Now we have life. We have life. We're alive. We're alive to God. We're not, no longer separated from God. We have life. We have a lot to live for. We'll be living for eternity in this life that God has given us. And death now is a doorway into the presence of God, and you'll never live any better than you'll live after that. So for the devil lost. <laughs> I'm so happy. So there's help for the children, and we're the children. There's help for the slaves. I bet you didn't know you were a slave. You know, that's probably the worst kind. To be bound by something and not know it. It says, and that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You're bound by sin and fear all of your life. Do you know, I really think this is where we are in our society because I've never seen so much anxiety. It makes me nervous. Wait a minute. I, I'm concerned about y'all being concerned. This, it, where is the fear coming from? It is, now I'm not picking on you because I, I had to pick on myself too, but where is it? It's a, it's a misunderstanding of who's really in charge. Some of you are doers, fixers, and you're about the business 24 hours a day, probably even when you're asleep, you're just fixing things. And you think you're in control, but you're not. You never were. You thought you were. God's always been in control, and he always will be. I can, take a I can take refuge in that truth that God is in control. So when things get out of my realm of thinking I'm fixing it and making it better, I'm still comfortable because I know he's the one in charge. And some of you have had it yanked out from under you. It's just, it, can it can happen in a day. You think everything's fine and it's not fine anymore. But it is because God's in charge. And you don't need to be subject to the slavery of fear, uh, be bound by fear, the fear of death, or the fear of anything else. You don't need to be enslaved by uh, the false understanding that people have about God, or about the devil, or about yourself, or about other people, or about what's going to happen in the country, who's going to win an election, is there going to be World War III, and here we go. Say, well, Pastor, I was feeling great till you started that. Now I'm upset and nervous again. I know, I know. But you don't need to be. You don't need to be. And we uh, have been delivered. We've been freed from slavery. We were bound by sin and death, but we're not bound anymore. We're free. We ought to act like it. Now, if we really start acting like it too much, people think we're up to something. So what, what in the world? It's just the greatest thing ever. I'm just having a wonderful life. And, and we're not pretending to have a wonderful life so that we can win some kind of spiritual academy award. Look how great I, I When I go to church, I look like I'm just, you know, and then you're not when you go home. I'm talking about the genuine 
genuine freedom in Christ. The freedom in Christ that will say things in your mind, not out loud. Sometimes you can say it out loud, but be gentle. When someone says something to you like, well, Christians should be like this, and you're not like that, and you go, well, I'm just walking with Jesus. Your opinion of what I'm supposed to be is, that's your opinion. I go to the Bible for my information, not to people. I say all that in my head. When I hear people say things that are maybe a, a tradition thing that they, you're supposed to do because you're a Christian or what you're not supposed to do because you're a Christian and the Bible doesn't say anything about all that. They just, that's just what we've always thought. Well, what you always thought, you can just kind of go, I don't care a thing about what you've always thought. Well, I do care about you, so I do care about that a little bit. But we ought to get out of that. That's, that can bind you to some kind of tradition, a religious tradition that will keep you from God. Do I have to start naming things? I'm not going to name things. And some of the things we do because we prefer to do them are not, they're not bad. They're not wrong. But when you start saying that's what Christians always do, now you got a problem. Now, I didn't do it because I look better now than if I had done this. But what if I had come up here in a white t-shirt and blue jeans and sneakers or tennis shoes I understand we're supposed to call it that now pastor uh, mm -mm, you can't do that oh yeah I can do that <laughs> but I'm not going to do that because I know that it, it, it looks better to be a little dressed especially if you're going to stand in front of you all this time it's better to look better but I'll tell you what people sometimes think you got to dress up to be a Christian, or you got to talk this way to be a Christian. Say, find out what the book says about that. Modesty is what it talks about. Not calling attention to yourself. That could be talking. Now, if I have a white t shirt and blue jeans is the way I used to dress before I met Sherry, she fixed me. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. But, so, so then, so the. But, you're, but if you dress like that so out of the way, then somebody calls attention to you. That could be pride, wanting to, people to think, that, look how different I am. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And it's like, eh, eh we don't want to look at you. But you are trying to get people to look at That could be bad. That could be a, one of those things. That's just, let's move on before I get in trouble. Which sometimes I do get in trouble, but... Help for the descendants. This is an interesting Bible study portion here that's just fascinating. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. It doesn't help angels. Jesus did not become an angel to die for angels. Why? I do not know. And I can prove it. If it's in the Bible, I haven't found it. Why is there no redemption for angels? I just know there's not. There's something about, now you know angels are not the same as human beings. Nowhere close. They're different. There was a, a, a finite number of them created. And what is it? A third of those rebelled against God. And their, their status is now fixed for eternity. They don't have baby angels. You've seen some on mantles and houses. They're not really baby angels. 
I know you call your grandchildren angels. I know, and I've already told you there are two kinds. There's the holy angels and there are fallen angels, and sometimes they act like both, I'm sure, but they're not angels. And angels are a unique creation of God, but there's something about what happened with the angels that is not like what happened with the humans. And, and the devil himself is an angel, a fallen angel. But there's no redemption for angels. Now, when you get to heaven, you can ask all the questions you want. I think for the first 10,000 years, you'll go. <laughs> Probably. Look, look, what is, look, we're here. I don't know, you'll be so amazed with who Jesus is and, and what he's done that I don't know if you'll be able to ask all the questions, but you can if you want, I guess, I'm sure, I don't know. I don't know, but I do know he does give help to the descendant of Abraham. Now, who's the descendant of Abraham? It's a single word, descendant, the descendant of Abraham. And, I, and there's a passage in Galatians I want to spend some time on because I think it's worth doing, and, and then we'll you know, get to the end. But this is, this is, bear with me as we go through this. Follow this passage, and you have a better understanding of what we're talking about. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise has been made. The word seed is descendant. Until the descendant would come to whom the promise has been made. That's Jesus, by the way. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. The law of God reveals the nature of God and His perfection and His holiness, but it was never intended, the law was never intended to give you life. The law was intended to show you that you're dead. That you're spiritually separated from God. That's what the law was given for. Did you know that? But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So it's like, <laughs> I know we're not supposed to say this word, at least I'm out of this one. Shut up. <laughs> now, it's not saying you should tell people to shut up, but it says shut up everyone. Everyone under sin, you're just shut up. You're just shut up into this category of you can't help yourself, you need help. And everybody, you look at everybody, you, we went down to the uh, downtown Greenville and walked around and they all watched all the interesting people, and there are a bunch of them. And I didn't even talk to everybody, but I know every one of them is shut up into this category of help, needing help, every one of them. You look at them and you think, that, that person right there needs Jesus, and that person right there needs Jesus. We all need Jesus. And so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So there's a promise everybody can have through Christ. Now this is what happened to us, and what's happened in general and in specific for everybody and for individuals. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor, leading us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. A tutor in this particular category would be someone who would, uh, for children, would 
take care of the child, lead the child, keep the child from dying, keep, move the child in the right direction. I mean, day in and day out, this is what the tutor, till the child comes of a certain age and then he can turn them over. That's what the law of God is doing. Showing us, moving us, this is right and this is wrong, this is right and this is wrong, and you're wrong because this is right and you're wrong. You can see this. Let me show you this, let me show you this, let me show you this. That's what the law of God does all the time. Just shows you, just shows you, just shows you what is right and what is wrong. And the, what does the devil do? There is no right and there is no wrong. You have your own truth. You have your own truth. You've got your own problem. You've been deceived. You may have, when you say it out loud, do you still hear the way we hear it? We think that's crazy stuff. And you think it sounds profound. I have my own truth. And you have your truth and I have my truth. <laughs> God is the one who has the truth. And the truth is the truth whether we want it to be that or not. And the tutor shows us and shows us, moves us along to point us to Jesus. It's like, do you need help? And I told you that from the beginning. You need help, and you get help. The law moves you to where you can get help, to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, it always is. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have uh, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, your, clothed yourselves with Christ. Now understand, this is not talking about water baptism. Uh, this is a word that was not translated, it was transliterated, word, letter for letter from the Greek language, and made a new word out of it, baptizo, baptized. All of you who are, the word is immerse. We're good Baptists, aren't we? We plunge them under till they bubble, <laughs> right? We don't sprinkle, we just, boom, 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 boom. and we bring them back up before they expire, but with the... It means to immerse. This is what the Greek people do with their dishes. They immerse them in the sink. It's a word immerse. So let's look at it. For all of you who were immersed into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now doesn't that make more sense? When I said baptized, you went to the religious ideas about baptisms. Come back over here and say, baptized means to be immersed. So I am placed into Christ. I'm clothed with Christ. When you're in Christ, all God can see is Christ, His perfection. All of you in your imperfection, forgiven in Christ, in Christ, He sees Jesus. That's good stuff. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That's profound, especially if you were thinking, you know, we're the chosen people of Israel and nobody else is. And you say, hold on just a minute. The Greeks are included too. That means anybody who's not a, a Jew is included too. And, well, free people are, but not slaves. Oh, my. Free people are enslaved to sin and to this idea that they're okay when slaves who know Jesus are free. Isn't that interesting? Male or female? So, well, I might not be as important because I'm a woman in a man's world. You hear that? And you think, well, really, is that what you think? You know, ladies, I don't know why you'd want to be a man. 
we already know about their problems, you know. What in the world is wrong with being a woman? Just how God made you to be a woman. Don't, don't take that away from God's design. Uh, a woman ought to be a woman, and, and you're equal in Christ. Nobody's better than you. I don't know where we get all of that. I know sometimes we think because someone has a different role, like for instance, I'm going to stir up the stew here a minute. The Bible does not say that we should have woman pastors. That's just what the Bible says, and there's a reason for that. I'll give you some of them just because I'm stirring the stew. In the home, God made it where the man is supposed to lead the family. And the wife is to be submissive to the leadership of the man, but they're to work together and, and to, to work together, not to work against each other. And one's not a slave of the other. That's not the design. There's a leadership principle in the home, and you carry that over into the church. For instance, if Sherry were the pastor of Five Forks and I was her husband, what are we at home? When the Bible says, I'm to be the head of the household, the leader, the spiritual leader, the guy, and She's to be submissive. What is that talking about? It's not talking about slavery. You go to our house, you don't find any slaves there. What is it? God's design. So why is it like that? I do not know. But it doesn't, well, I do know some part of it, but I'm not getting into all of that. But I'll tell you this. What does it matter? If God designed you to be something, why do you want to be something else that you think would be better? Obviously, take a look. I was not designed to be an NBA. So why would I even bother trying that? I just need to be where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not better or worse than anybody in the NBA, right? Except for basketball. That's the only thing. And getting things off the top shelf, that kind of thing. But, but I am who I am. I'm made to do what I'm doing. I, I, be who you are and leave it alone. That was another sermon, and within a sermon, you're welcome. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Here it is. There's what we were talking about. The word seed, singular, is Christ, descendants, seed. It's singular in this passage. In Christ are many. So it's a singular plural back in the English class, but it's a plural. It's a singular plural. In Christ, many of us in Christ. It's so beautiful. That's what it's all about. Then the last thing, help for his brethren. He mentioned this in the earlier part from last week's passage, and we're moving into it in these categories. He gave help to the children, help to the slaves, and help to the uh, to the brethren. Here it is. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in, in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The pastor. Back up and talk about that. I don't even know what propitiation is. Well, that's why we're here. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. He had to become a human being like the human beings he came to help. He had to become one of us without sin so that he could take us out of sin and bring us eternal life. And he did that so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. This is what it's all about. Propitiation. 
get, this is the picture I want you to get. You know the picture in the Old Testament where the temple and they have the animals and they sacrifice the animals and it's always detrimental to the animals. Just want to see if you're with me. They kill them. They cut their throats and the blood and it's everywhere. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, that's what it's about. But that never forgave anybody, never brought forgiveness. It was a picture of Christ who would give his, his life, his very blood for us. He became one of us and died a death for us all. And when he did that, he rendered powerless the devil and the fear of death and the power of death. He took it away. And the word propitiation explains it. He was the high priest would come in, and, and especially on the Day of Atonement, he'd go into the most holy place and put the blood of, a, of the, that spotless animal, his blood, on that mercy seat on the top of the, the Ark of the Covenant there. Put that blood on that. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, he would do that. The high priest would come. You know, they tell me, I don't, they used to tie a, a cord around his leg, and if he went in there and he dropped dead, they could pull him out. Because if you go in there, you'll drop dead. I know I'm using terms that are everyday terms. You drop dead. You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Not Jesus. Perfect high priest went into the holy place in heaven with his own blood and put it on the mercy seat in heaven for the sins of the people. But he was not only the high priest that went into the most holy place in heaven and put the blood there, he was the sacrifice. High priest, sacrifice. That's what the word propitiation means. That he satisfied the anger and wrath of God towards sin. Satisfied. Do you know what that means? God's wrath is always against sin, always forever against the children of disobedience, the Bible tells us. But when Jesus paid the price and you believe in Christ and accept that payment for your sins, forgiven, God is satisfied with you. Satisfied. How many of you could sleep better tonight if you knew that God was satisfied with you? God loves you. He can't love you any more than He does. He loves you completely as much as He's ever going to love you. He loves you right now. Some of us don't believe that. We think, well, I've got to do some more things. God will love me better. If I'm a better person, He'll love me. No, 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 no. Completely satisfied. Jesus satisfied all the requirements for you to go to heaven, to be in heaven forever, to have eternal life. Completely perfect Jesus took your place. And you don't have to try to take His place. Why don't you just let it go? Just let it all go. Say, God, thank you for forgiving me. And when somebody does something they shouldn't do and says something they shouldn't say and they act like they shouldn't act, why don't you just try forgiving? Even if they don't change or if they don't ask for it, just, just forgive them. You'll sleep better. I think it's a great thing to be a follower of Christ. I think it's a great thing to be changed. It's a great thing for God to move into our lives and, and do the things that we're talking about. To have the power of the devil or the power of death to be removed and the freedom that we have in Christ and being immersed in Christ and being forgiven by Christ. This is what it's all about. And when you live that way, it shows. It shows. The worries of the world go away. 
go away. So, Pastor, I just got to, how am I going to do this? <clears throat> You're probably going to have to every day get up and say, remember God's in charge. Remember what Christ has done. Remember who you are. And remember, every day is a great day because Jesus is in your life. And when difficulties come, and if you don't have any, we can get some for you. When they come, remember, it's not an accident that you're going through what you're going through. God is taking you through this for a reason, and He has not abandoned you in the middle. He's right there in the middle with you, and He's going to take you through to the other side. He's going to take you all the way through it. You're not going to, you're not going to be left behind. He's going to take you all the way through it. And when you get to the other side, you'll look back and go, oh, that's what you were doing. Now, you might get to the other side, and that's your time. You're going through this difficult time, and time to go home. Or you might get through the other side, and you've got 20 more years. You say, I didn't know it was going to last this long. I'd rather have gotten off back there. You don't, you can't tell. But God's in charge. Now, I want to ask you to do something. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, and you, you don't know that you're forgiven. Today's the day for you. This is a special time for you to talk to God and say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me. I want to know you personally. I want to have eternal life in you. I, I want to know you. And this is the time for that. It's a very holy moment in the time of our service. If you're here today, you say, well, I've already surrendered my life to Christ. <clears throat> and what you've been talking about today has just opened up so many things in my, in my heart. And I know that I'm forgiven. And I know this church is where I want, I, God wants me to be. Maybe that's you. Maybe this is your day for that. Now, this is how we receive members. You can come to this church, uh, come forward in, the, in this service today, and tell me, yes, I'd like to become a member of Five Forks Baptist Church. <clears throat> and when you do, I'll schedule a time for you and I to get together and meet and talk about what our church is about, what we believe, who we are. And then uh, if you still want to join the church, we'll present you in another time. That's how we do it. So you'll know what the church is about, and we'll know you, and we can talk about your personal relationship with Christ, what God's doing in your life, all that kind of stuff. I'd like to meet with you to do that. So that's how we do it. We join by profession of faith in, in, in Christ and baptism. We join by statement of faith or a letter from another church. That's the way we do it. But we don't do it today. We do it later because I want you to know what the church is about. Is that cool? I need to explain that because I don't always explain that. So wherever you are in your walk with Christ, you got something you want to pray about, just come on down front to pray about it. Pray about where you are. I happen to be one of those pray about it where you are kind of people. I'm kind of like that. You think I'm probably an extrovert. I am. It doesn't mean I want to get up in front of everybody and pray about all my stuff all the time. But I'll tell you this. Everybody in the room needs to pray today. So please do. And if you're here today, <clears throat> and there's something that's keeping you away from asking Jesus to come into your life, that thing needs to go away. It could be a religious belief system that you've had all your life, and it needs to go over there. 
Don't let a religious system keep you from coming to Christ. I told a guy one time, he was telling me about his mother. His mother had a certain belief system she believed. And, and I said, with all due respect, your mother was wrong. Don't let your mother who was wrong keep you from heaven and from knowing Jesus. So, well, Pastor, you've just insulted my mother. <clears throat> yes, I have. But I didn't do it because I didn't like her. I did it because she's wrong. She's insulted Christ. That's a heavy thought, isn't it? I'm begging you, like Paul begged, be reconciled to God. Don't let anything keep you from Christ. And you know who I'm talking about, even though I don't know who I'm talking about, because you're the one. So I beg you, as we stand together, let's pray together. Father, today is a day, what a beautiful day it is that you've given us that we might understand better the things, of, things you've shown us in your word. I pray for those who are here today that this is the day that you've set aside for them to come to you. And if that's you and you know that it's you, would you just talk to Jesus and tell him, hey, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, be my Savior, and be my Lord. Take over my life today. I give everything I am to you and ask that you take over. Forgive me for all of my sins and I pray that you would cleanse me. Prepare me for heaven. Thank you for adopting me that I might become one of your children. Free me today from the things that enslave me. I pray that I can leave here today knowing that I'm right with you and that everything is, is right between me and you. So Jesus, I invite you to come in. Mm -hmm.